you're going to have to help me preach because I'm not too confident in what I wrote. I looked at it last night, looked at it this morning. I thought, man, a lot of guys could have written this better than I did. But the truth that we're going to get today is dynamite, is dynamite. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready for this? I'm reading through Ezra right now. Actually, I finished Ezra this last week, and there's a verse in there that's going to set us up today. I want us to read it out loud together. When is the last time you read Ezra? There's an Ezra? Yeah, there's an Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Look at what Ezra did. Let's all read it together. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. Not just to study it, but to do it. Head, heart, hands. Everybody do it with me. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. That's what Ezra was saying. I don't want it just in my head. I'm not just going to study it. I'm going to do it. Some of the translations practice it. Some of them observe it. And so there is a message today. The, the series title, a new series title called Game Changer. Here we go. We're going to start a new series called Game Changer, but it's not going to change anything if we don't put it into action. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray about it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the treasure that it is, the richness that we can gather from spirit words, from divine guidance that we can have in our life today. What Jesus gives us this morning is a game changer for our lives if we don't just study it, but if we put it into practice. Father, I pray that we do that. Uh, Jesus says, if we love him, we will obey him. And I pray that that is what happens this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you a bench warmer or are you a game changer? Ask the person next to you. Are you a bench warmer or are you a game changer? Ask the person next to you that question. Are you a bench warmer or a game changer? You are a game changer if you helped with refreshments this morning. You're a game changer if you're helping with the audio. You're a game changer if you're on stage playing the music. You're a game changer if you're in the children's area. You're a game changer if you're working in the nursery. You are a big game changer if you are working in the nursery. You're a game changer if you brought communion bread today. You're a game changer if you helped with setup. You're a game changer if you're going to help with teardown, and you are going to help with teardown whether you knew that or not. You are a game changer just by putting your hands to your faith, but Jesus digs a little deeper than that in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Oh, we could just stop right there. That right there is a game-changing verse. Be careful not to practice your righteousness on Facebook. Be careful not to practice your righteousness on Twitter to be seen by people. If you do, you will have no reward. That's what he says. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. By the way, if you ever wonder if Jesus ever made jokes, that was a joke in their day. They envisioned trumpets all. Oh, Whenever you give, don't play a trumpet to let everybody look at you and let them know that you were giving. 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you, Venture Christian Church, give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Say that with me. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is a game changer, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The title of this message is called The Scorekeeper. The Scorekeeper. Our oldest boy started playing his first year of baseball, Little League Baseball this year. He just had his last game uh, this last Tuesday. And I wondered, going into the first game, I'm one of the assistant coaches, but I I didn't ask any questions about this. I wondered whether or not we kept score at this age. uh, Hudson was five when he, he just turned six, but he was five during the league. I thought, I wonder if they keep score for five-year-old baseball. And then I got to the game, the first game, and there was a scoreboard out in the outfield above the fence, but the scoreboard wasn't on. And I said to my, well, they're not going to keep score. And I'm kind of, I'm okay with that. For five years old, I'm okay with that. And so what I discovered throughout the game, even though they're not nationally broadcasting the score, guess what I learned? Guess who I learned is keeping score? Mommy and daddy. And you want to know how I learned that? After the game, the head coach, I wasn't the head coach, the head coach was talking to the team, and some of the kids were asking, did we win? And the parents behind the team said, oh, we won. (laughs) And I thought, well, were you really keeping score? And then they said, we won. What was the score? And I said, 16 to 14. So (laughs) somehow I couldn't help it. No big deal except for the fact of this. With a couple weeks in the season left, I overheard the parents saying, we're in third place. I think there are 15 teams. They were not only keeping score, they were keeping the standings. Five-year-old baseball. We're in third place. I said, you're wrong. We're in second place. But that's (laughs) that's not the issue here. I can't believe those people were keeping track of the standings. After every game, uh, almost after every game. Sometimes we'd all ride together, but often Hudson would ride with me in the car, just me and him in the car on the way back from the game. And he would ask, how did I do? And we would go over how he did in the game. And I had three criteria for whether or not he did good. Number one, did you play your hardest? Did you play? Did you give it your best? Number two, did you have fun? And by the way, that's purposely in that order. Not did you have fun and then did you do your best? Did you do your best? And that will turn out to be fun. Doing your best is what is fun. Teaching a lesson here at the age of five. Did you do your best? Did you have fun? And were you a good teammate? Did you root for your teammates? And if you did those three, uh, three things well, Hudson, you had a good game. Now, now, now here, here's my point in that. I have learned there are plenty of people who want to be my son's scorekeeper but I want to be his scorekeeper. I'm going to let him know, not whether did you hit a home run, whether did you hit a double, did you make all the plays, that's not what's important to me right now. I want his dad to be a scorekeeper in these games, but there's plenty of people out there who want to be my boy's scorekeeper. How many of you know plenty of people want to be your scorekeeper? 
Who is your scorekeeper? Who is it? There's a lot of people who'd love to be your scorekeeper, amen? Have you run into those people? Plenty of people want to be your scorekeeper. I, I've noticed it's hard to know if you're winning in life. Can you relate to that? Sometimes I feel like I'm winning. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I, I had a good week. Sometimes I feel like Satan beat me this week. It's hard to know whether or not you're winning. Financially, I found out an old friend from high school this week. I, I just learned this this last week. He, had be, he has become a multimillionaire. He lives on the North Shore side of Chicago, which is the, if you know Chicago, that is the rich, affluent area of Chicago. He's become a multimillionaire. He's traveling the world as a leadership speaker. And he, I saw his house in a YouTube video. And I thought, hmm, am I winning financially? Sometimes I ask, am I winning relationally? I see some people with all these friends, and I think, am I winning relationally? Am I winning in parenting? Have you ever asked that? If you're a parent, have you ever asked, am I winning in the parenting game? Because some parents are acting like they have it all together, and we do not have it all together. Am I winning in the parenting game? This is especially hard today to know because we have constant reminders that everyone is keeping score. Do you know there's actually a number on you? How many followers do you have, right? You actually know whether or not you're winning. How many followers? How many comments? How many likes? How many retweets? How many, uh, what are the other things? You don't know either. Good. Just... It's, it's, it's always out there. Back in the day, we only had a small group of people. I used to think I was good at ping pong. Do you know why I thought I was good at ping pong? Because my little small group of three friends, I was good at ping pong. But now we're measuring ourselves against who? The whole world, since the internet got crazy and social media, now we're measuring ourselves against the entire planet. All these people that we are comparing ourselves to, are we winning? Now, here's the deal. Here's what you need to know. Everybody else, they don't know your situation, do they? They haven't been dealt the same stack of cards. They don't know your situation. They haven't been given the same calling. This rears its head, I hate to tell you this, this rears its head in ministry circles. That guy's winning, that guy's losing. And how do we measure that? You know how you measure that. Come on. Congregation size. And so I've sat in preacher circle meetings where the, there's 15 preachers, there's 30 preachers, and, and guess how they measure who the winning guy is? The guy with the biggest congregation. And guess who's losing? Now, this is never said, by the way. I just want you to know that. It's just very visible in how people act around each other. It even enters ministry circles, and it gets discouraging. I... I think of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah wrote a book called Jeremiah. He also wrote a book called Lamentations. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. God, he was a faithful prophet. He preached for 40 years. Do you know how many people responded to, to Jeremiah's message in 40 years? Nada. Zero. There is not one recording of somebody giving their life over to God through Jeremiah's preaching. But he was called to preach and warn Judah for 40 years of the income. If you don't change, God's going to judge you. And nobody responded for 40 years. Other prophets seemed to have success. Jeremiah wasn't having success. God didn't allow Jeremiah to marry. Other prophets married. He didn't allow Jeremiah to have children. Other prophets had children. I wonder if Jeremiah ever thought, am I winning or am I losing? You may be wondering today, 
Am I winning in life or am I losing? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to what? Win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what, what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might, might be disqualified. Second John chapter 1 says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Matthew chapter 6, that's where we are in this passage today. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, which means Jesus climbed a mount. He was on a hill. He elevated himself. This is about elevation, right? This is not about elevation. If you ever read the Sermon on the Mount, that's just his physical presence. Actually, the Sermon on the Mount was about excavation, he dug into the hearts of people. He dug into the souls. He dug into people's value. The first sign that Christ is having an active way in your heart is that he's not elevating you. It's that he's excavating you. He starts to change your value system. He starts to change your purpose. He starts to change the way you look at life. There has to be some digging in on the foundation before he ever starts to build you up. See, we want the building up before the foundational work is done. There's a school being built behind our house right now, and they've been building for a while, but guess what's not up? There's no walls up yet. What are they working on right now? The foundation. Before you can ever build up, you got to have a strong foundation. And the proof that Jesus is working on your life is that the vision of your life and the values of your life are changing. He's doing some excavating work. It doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. But right here in Matthew chapter 6, he digs in excavation before elevation. I wish, you know, we're not going to change the name of our church, but we could change it to Excavation Church. And that would be a good name a biblical name for a church. We want the building up before the foundational work is done. Even in, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he starts the sermon with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Immediately, Jesus says, what looks like winning is not actually winning. What you thought was winning, blessed are the poor in spirit, that doesn't look like winning. Blessed are those who are mourning, that doesn't look like winning. What you thought was winning is not actually winning. He goes on to say, blessed are the meek. That didn't sound like winning. Jesus says, that's winning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That didn't sound like winning, but that's winning, for they will be filled. You know what's interesting? When Jesus comes up on the scene, especially here on the Sermon on the Mount, who does he challenge? He doesn't challenge the outside world. He challenged the religious people. The church has gotten too used to challenging the values of the world, their sexuality, their entertainment, their morality. When Jesus came, he looked at his church first, and he challenged the foundation of the church the value system of the church. He didn't walk around pointing a finger at everybody else. Look at your moral system. Look at your morality. It's all messed up. He came in and he looked at his people in God's house and he says, we need to do some excavating before we do some elevating. And so the church ought to do the same thing. 
Rather than looking at the outside world, always challenging their values, let's look at ourselves. And so here's a line. If, if, if you want to write something down today, write this down. Stephen Furtick said this about this particular passage, and I liked it. Here's what he said. Jesus was less concerned with playing the game right and more concerned with playing the right game. Listen to this. He was less concerned with playing the game right. He was more concerned with playing the right game. What does that mean? Francis Chan put it this way. He said, wouldn't it be a tragedy? I'm I'm not scared of going through my life never becoming successful at something. What I'm scared at is becoming successful at something that doesn't really matter. Oh. What I'm scared of is playing the game right, but I wasn't playing the right game. And people will let you know if you're playing the game right. And how many people are going to stand before the Father someday and, and, and they're going to say, didn't I play the game right? Look at, look at my 401K. Look at the car I'm driving. Come on now. And he's going to say, whoa, 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 you were playing the wrong game. You may have played the game right, but you were playing the wrong game. Man, that is a game changer. Do you know where this comes out the most? Hospital beds. Hundreds, I'm telling you, hundreds of times, I, I have sat next to somebody on their hospital bed, on their deathbed. They knew the time was coming. Do you know what they never talk about on their hospital bed? They never say, I wish I would have invested in that particular stock. They never say, man, I missed out on selling my house at just that right time. I could have got the most bang for my buck. They never talk about that. Do you know what they talk about? They talk about the right game, spiritual matters, eternal matters, things that matter to Jesus. It always comes out on the hospital bed. This is a game changer. Wouldn't it be tragic to get good at a game that doesn't matter and to win the approval of the wrong scorekeepers? Who was your scorekeeper today? While we're trying to win the approval of all these other scorekeepers, wouldn't it be tragic to win their approval yet ignore the ultimate scorekeeper? I got to get some therapy off my mind here for a moment. When I was a kid, how many of you remember Mario Brothers? You remember the, the holy game called Mario Brothers? Nintendo, put it in. Now we're preaching. I never won Mario Brothers. Don't laugh at me. What in the world? What kind of a comforting church is this? Do you know what I've realized? The video games today, what are they doing? Back in the day, we had, we were changing the world. We were saving princesses. Princess Toadstool. Princess Zelda. We were knocking out Mike Tyson. We were doing something of value in this world. We were doing something with our time, man. I never won Mario Brothers. About six years ago, I realized it was bothering me. I am that small. I am. And so I got online. I told Chelsea, I got to win Mario Brothers. Even if it means I'm skipping some levels, I'm going to win this thing. (laughs) Left, right, left, right, B-A-B-A-C, start. Anyway, I'm going to win this thing. And so about six years ago, I get online. I find a free website that you can play Mario Brothers. And I was staying up late in the night. Chelsea was go to bed, and I start playing Mario Brothers online. I'm going to beat this thing. I cannot go to my grave not beating Mario Brothers. And she just, who did I marry? What is wrong with this guy? And one night I beat it. And I, Princess Toadstool was mine. <laughs> After 30 years of a, 
elusiveness. And it's the middle of the night. I am the champion. I was waiting for Queen to start playing. Never did. And I looked around, and nobody even was watching. I wanted to wake my wife up and let her, I won! But I didn't want to get hit. So I waited till the morning, and I told her first thing in the morning, I won last night. She said, okay. That's it. That's all there is to winning my, and I, I wanted to, I didn't want to turn my computer off. But the battery was, I was watching the battery go down. I won Mario's. I played the game right. But it didn't matter. Because <laughs> I was playing the wrong game. What am I going to do? Stand before God someday and say, but I won Mario. Me and Luigi, right there. Wouldn't that be tragic? You say, that's a silly story. Oh, come on now. Are we not doing the same things? Just as silly, just as off with our value system. Jesus in this passage is excavating before he's elevating. Maybe you're trying to win the approval of people right now, or you're trying to win the argument, or you're trying to win their friendship. And once you do win their friendship, you realize it wasn't worth winning to begin with. Once you realize you had to win their friendship, you realize you should never have to win a friendship to begin with. Come on. You should never have to prove yourself. And so the scorekeepers are the people out there when our ultimate scorekeeper should be the one up there. Our scorekeeper is our heavenly father. Come on, church. Our scorekeeper is our heavenly father. If, if you have to win it, if you have to prove it, if you have to earn their friendship. It's not a friendship. If it can be cut off, then it was never there. It wasn't cut off. It was never there to begin with. He's your scorekeeper. He will not cut you off. Praise God for that. What is Jesus saying? You can win all the games you want. You can win status. You can win power. You can win approval. You can win position. You can win all the princesses. You can win level eight. You can win all that you want to win, but at the end of the game, you have to turn the computer off and I had to turn it off. Six times through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this statement, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard that winning is this, but I'm telling you that winning is this. You've heard that this is success, I'm telling you that this is success. It's not so much the behavior that matters, it's the belief beneath the behavior. It's not so much the manners, it's the motive behind the manners that matter. One of the times he says it, he talks about murder. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And you think that if you haven't actually killed somebody, that you have obeyed the command, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you are carrying around hate, if you are carrying around bitterness, if you are carrying around anger, you are spiritually deteriorating your soul just as if you murdered somebody. It's the belief behind the behavior. It's not just the behavior. It's the motive behind the manner. That is a game changer. That changes everything. By the way, that's why they killed Jesus, because he was getting underneath their value system, and they didn't like it. He would touch lepers that they wouldn't touch. He spoke with women that they devalued. He challenged their social values because he would associate with people ethnically that they would never associate with. He didn't play their games. You remember, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. But I tell you, anybody can love their neighbor. Love 
your enemies. That's a game changer. That's, anybody can love their neighbors. Anybody can love those who love you. You love those who mistreat you and curse you. What is he saying? If you're going to insist that God relates to me one way, you can forgive me all the sins, God, thank you, and then I'm not going to forgive others, uh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It says after Jesus gets done teaching that people were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. How did the teachers of the law teach? They would pack on the laws. They would pack on behavior. They, they taught toward outward behavior. Jesus taught toward the belief behind the behavior. That was the difference. That's why he taught with authority. How do I know I'm winning? When my actions match my values. Not when you tell me I'm winning. You don't determine if I'm winning. Sorry. You don't determine if our marriage is good. Sorry, but you're not my scorekeeper. He determines if I'm winning. He determines if I'm walking with him. My bank account is a false scorekeeper. The car that I drive is a false scorekeeper. My position and title is a terrible scorekeeper. The size of this church is a bad scorekeeper. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, and by the way, he didn't say if you give. He says when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you got 65, okay, if you got 65 likes on your Facebook post about you giving to that charity, then your reward is the 65 likes. That's what that just said. Verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's not saying you don't write a check to the church so nobody knows what you gave to the church. He's not saying you withhold it from the IRS so that you don't get your tax deduction. That, that, that's not what he's saying there. What he is saying is that if that's the motive of why you did it, then that is your reward. If that's why you gave, if that's why you sang, if that's why you went to church, then that is your reward. But there is no reward from the heavenly Father. One of the reasons Christians, who should be the most joyful people on the planet, are sometimes really miserable is because they're doing the Christian life for other people to watch. And when we are each other's reward, then that's all we're going to get. And that is pretty miserable because we're not very good at rewards, are we? But when he is your reason, he is your reward. And his reward is out of this world. Amen? His reward is out of this world. I love the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who would get paid for preaching at all these churches, there were a few churches that would not pay him. And he went on, in almost all of his letters, he says, hey, the worker is worthy of his wages. He who, lives by, he who works by the gospel should live for the gospel. He went over and over and said, man, that is a spiritual work that deserves its wages. He never wavered from that, but there were, there were two churches who wouldn't pay him. And he never pressed on him. He didn't say, well, I'm not going to preach then. 
If you don't pay me, I'm not going to preach. What did he say? Fine, I'll go make tents. But I'm not going to stop preaching. Why? Because his motive was not the paycheck. You find out what your motive is when you stop getting the reward from people. And Paul said, I am compelled to preach. I'm going to preach. I'll find my paycheck through making tents. I'll find a job over here. But I am going to preach because that is the motive behind my manners. That's the belief behind my behavior. You, you ought to be paying me, but I'm not going to press it upon you. You ought to be paying me, but I'm not going to push it on you. I'm going to preach regardless. I love the Apostle Paul. He revealed his motives behind his manner. This applies in, er in every area of life. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. He didn't come to play the game of the law a little better. He didn't come to add a few more laws. He came to give the reason for why you do what you do. Take giving. In the Old Testament, they were made to give. You had to give to the temple. You had to tithe. But guess what, what people would do? They would give out of obligation. They wouldn't give from the heart. And then Jesus comes along and he, he doesn't abolish that, actually. We should still be giving the first fruits of what we have back to God. But he changes the why on what we do. He says, give with a cheerful heart. He says, give because God's been good to you. Give because God has forgiven of your sins. Look at what God's done in your life. I'm going to give because my Redeemer lives. I'm going to give because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I'm going to give because God is great and God is alive and God is forevermore. I'm going to give because of who he is. I'm not going to give obligatory. I'm going to give with a cheerful heart. Jesus changed the why behind the what. Whenever you serve at a church, you don't, you don't serve on the setup team so that you won't go to hell. You're not going to go to hell if you don't volunteer here at Venture. I'm not going to be happy with you. But if you don't serve, you don't help with the setup team to not get punished. You don't go to church so that you can get to heaven. You go to church because of what God's done in your life. You should never have to drag a Christian to church. You should never have to convince a Christian to go to church. Because look, look how good God has been to me. And so you serve, you volunteer, you give back, you live with an open hand. <sighs> because the church is Jesus' bride. Jesus loves his bride. And so you love his bride. And so you connect with the church. And if we never give you a reward, if we never give you the applause of men, if we never pat you on the back, if nobody ever notices, that's okay because that's not your motive to begin with. You are doing it for him and your reward will be great someday. It will be great. And then in verse four, then your father, who, this is a game changer, who sees what is done in secret, what will he do? He will reward you. All right, what's the reward? What's the reward? Does he tell us? Is it gold? If it's gold, he's just giving us gravel from heaven. That's all gold is in heaven is gravel. Is it a brand new guitar for Doug? Is that your reward? He never tells us what the reward is. If you did your devotion this, uh, this last week with a coffee mug next to your devotion in a journal and you took a picture to post it on social media to get as many likes as you could possibly get and don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. 
I'm just going to do my devotion to take a picture to see how many people saw that I did my devotion today. <laughs> then that's your reward. Here's a thought. When Jesus says, do not let your right hand left know what your left hand is doing, do you know what that might mean? That might mean that your giving has become so automatic, it doesn't need to tell your left hand what it's doing. It's just become automatic. I'm a devoted follower of Jesus. I'm going to give without telling my left hand I'm even giving. I'm going to give because God is alive. I'm gonna, I don't need to pray about whether or not I'm going to give for the kingdom's sake. Hey, Lord, would you please give me a sign if you want me to give to further your kingdom? The answer is yes. You don't need to pray about it. It becomes automatic because of what God has done. It's just, it's automatic. So, hey, church, let's give our scorecard to the right person. Amen? Let's give our scorecard to him. I've been encouraged by you as a church because every, every time I've gone to you and said, hey, can you do this? Can, I, I don't always get a yes. Sometimes I get a no, but the no is a legit no. It's always a no out of, man, I wish I could, I wish I could, I wish this was my thing. But most of the time I get a yes, and it's, hey, I'll do it, and I've never felt like I'm pulling arms. You've never made me feel like I'm twisting your arm to do it. That means you're here for the right reason. That means your motives behind your manner is pure. I'm excited about that. How many of you are excited about that? Being a part of a church where I don't have to, well, I'm going to call to see if, I'm about ready to ask somebody after the service, by the way, if they would be on the children's setup team. So this is playing out perfect, by the way. They have to say yes after this. They don't even know who they are right now, but I'm grabbing them after the service. <laughs> yeah. Who, this is the sermon. Who holds your scorecard is a game changer. Who holds your scorecard is a game changer. That's the sermon. Who's your scorekeeper? It'll change your life. Excavation before elevation. Everybody say it. Excavation before elevation. Not am I playing the game right. Am I playing the right game? I want God to be my scorekeeper. Then your Father who is in heaven will see what you do in secret, and he will reward you. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, but before we pray, I want us to repeat this up on the screen. We're going to repeat it five or six times. Say it with me. God is my scorekeeper, and he is my reward. God is my scorekeeper, and he is my reward. God is my scorekeeper, and he is my reward. God is my scorekeeper, and he is my reward. One more time. God is my scorekeeper, and he is my reward. He doesn't tell us what the reward is. Do you know why he doesn't tell us what the reward is? Because he is the reward. It's not what is the reward. It's who is giving the reward. The reward is we get God in the end. We get him. And we're going to get to heaven. We're going to say this whole time all I needed was you. And I was trying to get that. And I was trying to get this. And I was trying to win the approval of people. And I was so worried that she didn't like me. And I was so worried that he didn't like me. And I was so worried that they turned their back on me. But they weren't my scorekeepers. This whole time, God, if I had you on my side, then who can be against me? If you are for me, who can be against me? You're my reward. You're all I've ever needed. You are my sustenance. You are my daily bread. Boy, I've been excited about preaching this this week. This is good stuff. I don't know if the sermon was any good, but this is a good truth. This is a game changer. The next five weeks, a series called Game Changer. It'll be a journey. 
It'll change your life if you take it from your head to your heart to your hands. I want him to be my scorekeeper. Let's pray. Father, it doesn't matter what everybody else says. I bet a lot of people said Jeremiah was a loser. I bet a lot of people said he wasn't winning, but they weren't his scorekeeper. You are. So Father, I pray that today you may excavate our hearts. You may dig into the soil of our value system. And Father, the proof that you are working is that we, we see a change of values. We see a change of priorities. We see a foundational shift and it begins to be built and then you can start elevating us. But first it has to be ground level. Father, thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for saying, he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's gonna keep working. You're gonna keep working on our hearts. You're not gonna give up. We can ignore you for five years. We can ignore you for 15 years. And yet, if we turn around, you're right there. You never stopped walking behind us because you love us. You went to the cross. An eternal reward that far outweighs what this world can give us. Father, I pray for everybody in the room today that we would shift who our scorekeeper is and that it may be you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's sing this together.